but you know it's all about kind of green and just demand like you said just like sales and sales and sales or do I want to look back and have worked for a business that really made a difference I think somebody in the company you know we're talking about some of the work that we're doing in the circular space it's like you know we're on the right side of history and I was like do you know what that's such a poignant thing to say because I really believe that we are and that's exactly the reason why I'm doing this to have been on the right side of history of the circular movement I think that's pretty incredible. Hello and welcome to Saving Planet A. I'm your host Gizem Eren. In this show we learn together about sustainability, climate change, a circular economy and jobs that help save the planet. My guest today is Francesca Seeler, Global Marketing Director at Vintage Retailer Beyond Retro and used clothing broker Bank & Vogue. Francesca has over 13 years experience in marketing and branding and before Bank & Vogue worked with high street and luxury brands including All Saints and Lulu Guinness and sustainable clothing brand Sought Clothing. Francesca, welcome to Saving Planet A. Let's start with Bank & Vogue, Francesca. On the company website, it says that over the last 10 years, they've saved 1 billion pounds of textiles from landfill, which is a very impressive number. Tell us, what does a used clothing broker do? Okay, so Bank & Vogue is a global business um, that originated when the founder, Stephen, was actually working with the Salvation Army and realized how many of the donations were being sort of like essentially put into landfill. So we realized that there was an opportunity. It was like, oh, okay, I know somebody in Miami. I could um, sell these on for you. Obviously, therefore, making more money for the charity, but also stopping that product going into waste. Because initially, that's the idea. So what it's become now is a kind of, we are a broker. We work with private collectors and charities, predominantly in the US and Canada, um, in, for that side of the supply. And then what we do is we sell that back into vintage secondhand retailing globally. So with a broker between, um, what we do is we enable that process to be swift and easy for both sides. Um, and we're one of the leaders in terms of the operational side and the contacts around the world and to be able to help that circular mission. So it's a pretty incredible business. And they've been working with the Salvation Army for the entirety of the company. So they still have really strong relationships with them. And it's really kind of focused on trying to move as much product as possible back into retail at some point because they see the value in post-consumer waste there's so much I think there's something like 95% of that product is able to be used again mm -hmm. wow a lot of countries around the world that you know second and third world countries they really only wear secondhand clothing so, you know, those customers on that side, which are global as well in terms of, um, you know, expanding into Europe, particularly at the moment, there's Dubai and India and Africa selling onto market store traders and businesses, independent thrift stores, larger scale businesses. So it's, it's quite a complex, broad business in terms of the customers and suppliers that we work with. But it's an amazing global infrastructure. Also, Beyond Retro is under the company's umbrella, isn't it? The uh, vintage retailer Beyond Retro. Yeah, so we're actually an ecosystem of four businesses, all run by a family, all kind of working towards creating a circular economy. Bank & Vogue is the parent company, and then around one in a thousand of those garments goes into Beyond Retro. Beyond Retro is actually in its 20th anniversary year this year. 
And when they started Beyond Retro, I think Stephen was in one of the factories sorting, looking through the product that they obviously had pulled through um, one of their collections. Um, I mean, we're working in large loads. You can imagine that we're not, we don't take in small amounts of clothing, you know, kind of like a few bags of old credentials. You know, we're taking in large volumes and sorting that through. And what they realized that there was, they found some amazing, I think, 1940s pieces. And they were like, wow, you know, there's actually potentially an opportunity here to create a front-facing vintage retailer to help also find another solution. Our business is really all about finding innovative and relevant solutions for the crisis of stuff. So this was just another solution. You know, Bank and Vogue provides one solution for the crisis of the amount of stuff that we have in the world. And Beyond Retro is another. Um, It's fashion forward and trend-led. And it's really about trying to sort of stand up against that mass market fashion as an alternative. Um, so it's really been amazing actually to see its journey. And then we have a manufacturing facility, a remanufacturing. It's one of the leading remanufacturing um, facilities in the world based in India, which does the kind of set end end supply chain. And then that uses, so it's another solution, you know, for the amount of stuff that we have in the world. And it all flows through the same business in a circular model. So, you know, I suppose anything that we're not selling through Bank and Vogue that doesn't go into Beyond Retro also now has a, an opportunity to be turned into from post-consumer waste into new fiber, components, new product. Um, and then we've recently just launched Beyond Remade, which is um, a new brand for us very much in its infancy um but is more of a kind of contemporary streetwear luxury sort of price point but completely 100% upcycled from post consumer waste so actually really just showing the very end of our journey of our ecosystem of businesses so it's quite incredible to be part of all of these different businesses doing all of these great things but already coming back to that central purpose mm-hmm. of of reusing stuff basically yeah, finding homes for the mass amount of product that we have in the world. You know, we we really believe that if you can reuse it, then you should. Yes, definitely. I read somewhere that said if we were obliged to rehome all of our products, if we didn't want them, we would buy way, way less. So that I think that is so true. Now we'll just we'll just say, oh yeah, I'll just take these to the charity shop just thinking that everything will be rehomed but actually there's a as you said a big chunk of the clothes that we give to charity end up in landfill don't they a hundred percent i think the thing is the charity model is still so important because you know those clothes the clothing that goes there you know there is still a large percentage of that that gets resold or given to people in need or the money that's made through those charities so and actually because of businesses like Bank and Vogue, you know, we're one of the leading businesses, I think one of the biggest pioneers in this space, but there are a few others that also do this kind of role in the infrastructure of secondhand retailing. It's really important that those donations go to those charities because when those people like Bank and Vogue are buying them for the charities, that's obviously funding more money into the charity. But it is crazy when I started working for the business and I, and I learned that statistic about the amount product that was going into landfill but you know each business each charity 
they have their own set of um, parameters and how they're going to be able to sell on product and the expectations perhaps of what the customer that's coming in to buy that. So I suppose it's only natural that not everything can can be sold. It's amazing to have a company that has so many avenues to be able to rehome or reuse or you know think of innovations and route how you can take that product and make it into something new. You've worked for high street brands, you've worked for luxury brands, and you have seen the current fashion business model selling more and more is pretty much everywhere. Many people think this will never be sustainable unless we'll learn to settle with less. I was just wondering, your own journey, did your life change at all when you started working for Thought Clothing? And then was it like a natural progression going to Bank and Vogue? Or were you, did it start within you and then transfer to your career choices? How did that work? When you work in a world of fashion, um, it comes with its own set of challenges and it's definitely a fast-paced dynamic, very intense um, industry to be in, if you know much about the world of fashion. And as I kind of have gone through my career, I suppose I've been looking for more meaning. Even when I was at Lula Guinness, you know, we were kind of, I think, re- going through a kind of semi-rebrand, looking at the packaging. And at that point, sustainability was really still quite, no, I'm sure some of the larger businesses were already ahead of the time with it. But in terms of the fashion world, this kind of adoption rate of at least the media and the front face of how many people are talking about it was still very, very new. However, I was really pushing for that packaging to become more sustainable. So, you know, even at that point when the business didn't even have a sustainability strategy, it wasn't at that point in its journey yet. I was really trying to push that kind of project through. And even starting to talk about maybe some of the materials. And then when I moved on to Chinti and Parker, they were a business that was set up as a conscious business from the start. So I suppose my journey really started then, but I had also just had my child. I started that job when he was seven months old. And I think when you have a small child and you see the destruction and I suppose just the weather is probably for us the biggest signifier of what's happening and just how erratic it is. And, you know, you really kind of think about what his future looks like. And I think that my journey started there, working with them. They definitely had a sustainability strategy. They were working towards trying to bring more product in that was more consciously produced. They had sort of parts of a CSR um, strategy in terms of partners that they were working with. So that was, an, that was a sort of like a touch into learning about it. Um, and then that made me certain that the next brand I went to was going to be in that space. So although Thought was a step out, perhaps the more luxury, contemporary kind of fashion space that I'd been in, what I really liked about that business when I went for the job was not only the passion that the founder had, but you know, these guys were one of the original brands to have set themselves up in a thoughtful way. You know, they're, they're like, a, you know, been going for 15 years. So we're well ahead of many other brands when they start adopting the fabrics, the production practices, and the internal kind of structure around how you communicate a more thoughtful existence. So I thought, you know, this is a really kind of credible, authentic business that I can be a part of. And I think it really was a stepping stone into the role with Beyond Retro, 
when the Beyond Retro role came about, I wasn't necessarily actively looking for a new job. I'd been working really hard with Thor and doing a big rebrand with them and going on that journey. But, you know, Beyond Retro, I grew up in my 20s wearing Beyond Retro. So it had a real personal affinity with me, but I really loved what the business stood for and the scale at which it was working at. And then obviously I went through an interview process and every time I met somebody else in the business and how much passion they had, like genuine, good people truly trying to make a difference to the world. You know, of course it's a business, but they really care. They really care about the people that work there. They really care about the planet. They're really trying to push the dial constantly. And I was like, you know what? I want to be a part of that. So there's twofold, really. One, it's a personal because I care about my son and I want the planet that he's going into to, to be a better one and to be more sustainable and to help the future from that perspective. Because, I mean, ultimately, everything I do, the reason why I work so hard is everything is for him. And then on the other hand, it's about looking back in my life and feeling like I've created a legacy for myself. You know, what did I do? Did I just work for these sort of vacuous fashion brands that are nothing about sales not that the ones I worked for were like that but you know it's all about kind of greed and just demand like you said and just like sales and sales and sales or do I want to look back and have worked for a business that really made a difference I think somebody in the company you know we're talking about some of the work that we're doing in the circular space and was like you know we're on the right side of history and I was like do you know what that's such a poignant thing to say because I really believe that we are and that's exactly the reason why I'm doing this to have been on the right side of history of the circular movement, I think that's pretty incredible. As marketing director, you oversee a brand's marketing and communication strategies, which includes storytelling, advertising, print ads, everything. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on greenwashing? So making false environmental claims in fashion and retail. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very against this i wouldn't want to work for a business that would do that i can wholeheartedly say that none of our communications that we will do or any part of the strategy going forward will have any claims in it we're doing quite a lot of work about fact checking and data and being really certain we're actually kind of working on what our carbon strategy looks like for the next five years as well at the moment you know we're very committed to ensuring that what we're doing and the claims that we're making are substantiated. And it's really important. So there was a brand recently that was still heavily promoting Black Friday, but put out a very clever piece of comms about how the reason why they were doing it and all of this, which, hey, look, as a marketeer and a communications person, I look at that and think, yeah, that's really clever. It's a great way of essentially countering the, the messaging of Black Friday. But you're still pushing Black Friday. And you know what? It's very, very difficult because Black Friday is a really, it's something that fundamentally shouldn't be going as strong as it is in a world where we need to protect the planet. But unfortunately, a lot of those businesses at the moment are being really hit hard by the recession. And actually, I think that you can't necessarily judge all the brands for needing to go into a discount message at this point, because at the end of the day, you know, they're just trying to keep the, the head above water. And perhaps if things were different and we weren't in a recession, they probably wouldn't have pushed as heavy a messaging. But equally, I think you either need to stand by your decision to do that rather than trying to fluff it up into sounding like something more 
sustainable than it is because at the end of the day it just isn't definitely i've been reading that after the pandemic and the the current recession uh things haven't been going well for the high street obviously but things have been going well for the secondhand market haven't they yeah it's been great i mean what's been again like i said because of my journey with beyond retro started when i was 22 when i first moved to london and was working for all saints which is super cool and basically london and we all wore vintage clothing right so it was very much that journey so i've seen the journey that the company's gone on and we just literally opened a new store in finland in helsinki which um has actually beaten the record for our best performing opening um weekend in history of the brand so that's amazing and how wonderful in this current retail economic climate to have a success story like that under our belts we've also recently opened in coles drop yard and we also opened in argyle street i mean those two locations in london feel really quite again quite poignant for me it's quite a mark of the shift from a secondhand retail perspective five or six years ago you would never have seen a brand like beyond retro in those locations and in westfield and in westfield agreed yeah so you know what's really incredible is to see that there really is an audience and we really can provide because we're so trend-led it really does give you an alternative experience that can still provide you with those trends that you can buy in some of those more fast fashion retailers. I think it's just about making small conscious choices. You know, we need to buy less and buy more consciously. And I think that there is a real shift in that behavior. I do think the Love Island eBay partnership in the summer has also accelerated that conversation for the younger generation and even sort of my generation who still watch Love Island that have understood that there is an alternative and actually you can still dress can I think perhaps you know who knows maybe there was a little bit of a kind of stigma attached to secondhand or vintage when actually you know there's amazing pieces and it's like going on a treasure treasure hunt you know you can really find some wonderful pieces and it's exciting I think it's just brilliant that we can now have stores in these locations. It definitely is like a treasure hunt. I agree with that. I shop for my parents' wardrobes, actually, because my, my mom has lots of blazers, suits from her working days, and my dad has beautiful denim pieces that I sort of nick and uh, use. And I'm hopefully I'll pass them to my kids. And especially kids' clothes. Love shopping secondhand for kids' clothes. Do you have any plans to expand into kids, hopefully? Well, we've actually just launched for the Beyond Remade, which is the new label that we've just launched. We actually have a couple of kids' pieces in there that match the adult pieces. So they've literally, they've literally just gone online. However, I'm not sure, actually. Our sort of audience at the moment is very much geared into that kind of younger Gen Z market, although we are broad enough that we do speak to a wider age range. But at the moment, I don't think we are. But I definitely, it's not something that we we have discussed or haven't discussed at this point. But I don't think that the never say never. Yeah, I hope you do. So now I'll move on to my final two questions. The first one is, what's giving you hope right now? And the second one is, what's your best tip for saving Planet A? What is, I was thinking about this question earlier. I was like, what's giving me hope right now? And it's a pretty tough time for hope, isn't it? I was thinking about this, you know, it's already 
interesting one. Like, there's just so many things in the world that are disappointing, sad, and just really heavy. You know, the world feels heavy. The thing that gives me hope is the light and the enthusiasm that my little boy has. And I went to see a school for him the other day, and it's obviously important to me that they care about the environment and the planet. So I asked them, you know, what are you doing about teaching the children about this um, as part of the curriculum? And I was I was really impressed to see that they had a full full program all around sustainability from like the age of five and they actually had um, focus groups of children in the school campaigning to make changes and I was like if they can I mean look it's not going to change at the power level that we have now but at least we're developing a generation of children that think differently and that gives me hope and how excited he is to learn about it as well my best tip, I mean, to just make small changes every day. And that's on a personal one-to-one level. You know, it all feels, again, if I go back to what I said before, like it all feels very heavy. It's quite overwhelming. It's intimidating. There's so much information. And it is always does often feel like it's kind of impossible or doom and gloom or I don't know how. Or, but I think if you can literally pick five things in your life, that appear to be the most wasteful or that could have an impact. If everybody in the world made five changes today about their everyday life, it would have a larger impact on the on the planet. So that's around, you know, how you use your energy in your home or switching to green energy if it's possible. I know it's not as easy as, as it sounds. You know, the way in which you recycle, the way you consume food, the practices of how you use things and then how you buy clothes. You know, I'm giving myself um, a goal, for instance, this Christmas, that I'm not going to buy myself anything to go out in. So from now until the new year, everything that I'm going to wear will be something that I've already pre-owned. And I think that it's really important to set yourself those goals and to try to give yourself periods of time where you don't buy things. I mean, it's Christmas, so it's difficult, but for my own personal self anyway. That is a great tip. And I'm doing the same, not buying anything for myself for Christmas and one one present each for my kids. I think a lot of people are doing that this year. I mean, I think that there's the obviously the economic cost of living crisis that's impacting those decisions for people too. But I, I think, it, like I said, I think you can set yourself small goals and you can think, okay, what am I doing? What can I do? And I think if you, those goals don't have to be so overwhelming and so big. But like I said, you know, there's millions and billions of people in the world. If everybody was making a few changes into the way that they did their everyday life, it would really have a larger impact. In getting behind government legislation as well, you know, really kind of trying to push that faster and making more noise around the things that we want but those are larger scale ways to do it but I think the everyday people they find that not everyone's going to be not everyone's going to be able to do that so I think it's really about trying to think cleverly about how everyday people can make those changes that's a very good tip Francesca thank you very much it's been lovely chatting with you thank you it's been so lovely to chat to you too 
If you enjoyed this episode of Saving Planet A, I'd really appreciate it if you comment and subscribe so that other people can know that we exist. Thank you again for listening.